0: So we are continuing in our um, series, Inside Out, with the Book of James. And I tell you, when I was getting back into this particular chapter, chapter two, I kind of wish I hadn't started this out. <laughs> James says some pretty tough things to us. And perhaps it depends on where you're sitting as to how it is you receive what he has to say, but um, he's tough. He's tough. So today is no exception to that. Uh, Last week, we started with James 1, and we heard these words about what we are to do when we come to a point of decision-making. When we're at that crossroads, that intersection in life, James told us that what we must do is lead with our ears... And follow with our tongue. That's from the translation of the message. More traditional translations will say, Be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I think what James is reminding us is that we must be listening diligently, faithfully, before we set out with an opinion or an action. And James says that in doing this, we will make the best decisions most of the time. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, lead with your ears, follow with your tongue. When it comes to decision-making, make sure you've heard the word of God, whether through scripture or song or with wise counsel. Make sure that you're paying attention and listening to what it is that the Spirit has to say. So I invite you now to receive this word, listening, even when it may be difficult. This is from James 2. My dear friends, do not let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person enters wearing rags, And he comes in right after the man in the suit. You say to the man in the suit, and you say to the man in the suit, sit here, sir. This is the best seat in the house. And either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who cannot be trusted? Listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? He chose the world's down and out as the first citizens in the kingdom of God with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. And here you are abusing these same citizens. Isn't it high, high and mighty? Isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you? Who's used the courts to rob you blind? Aren't they the ones who scorn the name Christian used in your baptisms? You do well when you complete the royal rule of scriptures. Love others as yourself. But if you play up to these so-called important people, you go against the rule and stand convicted by it. You can't pick and choose these things. Specializing in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring the others. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight. May we trust you, Lord, to lead us even when your words are difficult, even when it takes our full and complete trust on you to live them out. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So long ago when I started dating, my father had very simple advice for me. He probably said a lot of things, but what I remember <laughs> is this. He said to me, Elizabeth, I want you to carefully observe how it is your date treats the waitstaff. How is it that your date treats someone who is dependent on getting along, dependent on having a brief, good relationship, brief as it may be, a good relationship, someone whose livelihood depends on pleasing the client, the customer, if you will. How is it your your date treats that person? Because how your date treats someone who is in a vulnerable position will tell you more about that person than the second, third, fourth, or fifth date ever will. And if your date is rude and condescending to someone in a service position, you don't want anything to do with them. Now years later when I was a waitress, I <laughs> observed some of that. Even more so, not not that not Towards me, I gave great service as a a waitress. But anyway, there were plenty of people in that restaurant that I tell you, I wouldn't have gone out with a second time. How is it that we treat people who are in a vulnerable position? How is it that we treat someone who has been perhaps oppressed or discriminated against or taken advantage of? That's what James is getting to in our text today. And James is very specific in his text and asks us the question, how is it that you treat the poor? Do you discriminate between the one who comes in in expensive clothing and the one who comes in in rags? Do you? Will we? Have we? James is very specific in this question because James will go on to say that how we respond to someone else who has A lesser position in society as human beings create it will tell us where we are in our faith journeys. How it is that we respond to someone who is different, who has been oppressed, who has been in a cycle of poverty. How it is we respond to this person will say more about us and our faith journeys than it ever will about the other person. And James knows that. And James invites us to consider those words this morning. How is it that we treat those whom society may brush aside? How is it that Christians whose allegiance is to the kingdom of God, how is it that we treat those who may be taken advantage of? How is it that we treat those who are thought of as less than in public opinion polls? which we have no business using to gauge our behavior. James says specifically, don't look to what the culture tells you. Don't look to how society orders things. Don't look to all of those outward trappings in order to decide how it is you, people of God, will behave towards your neighbor, whether your neighbor is someone off the street or someone in expensive clothes. How is it, people of God, you are going to respond and your faith tells you very specifically how it is we are called to respond how it is we are to step out of blowing with the winds of public opinion and how it is we are called to stand apart to be that light upon the hill to be that that presence in society that says it matters not where you're from Where you live, what language you speak, even what God you worship, you are created in the image of God and therefore are a brother and sister to me and I will honor all with the metaphorical seat of privilege. James says, how is it that you are going to treat the poor and then that will tell us where you are in your faith journey. What is it you're going to do? How is it you're going to behave? How are you going to react? Listen, dear friends, he goes on to say, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? He chose the world's down and out as the kingdom's first citizens. And again, perhaps how you hear that or where you're sitting informs how you hear that. James goes right to the heart of the matter and I'll tell you, steps on my toes asks me to step out of myself asks me to look at the world differently, the world differently from how it may be presented by our culture and engage it as God would have us engage it. Now James, as I said last week and this morning, James is direct he doesn't warm up the crowd he doesn't try to sway us to his point of view with flattery, with words of praise and all of that. He just goes right to the heart of the matter. You're at this point of decision, as we talked about last week. What are you going to do? Are you going to respect people based on earthly value? Or are we going to respect people based on who they are as a child of God, created in God's image, beloved by God, deserved of God's... Well, not none of us are deserved by God's grace embraced like the rest of us by God's grace. And I love it because, you know, we, we can look to James and, and, and wonder why he's so direct. Why is he—doesn't he, he want us to, to listen to him? I mean, these words are pretty easy to kind of ignore, zone away from, close our ears, if you will, because, because they seem so extreme. But remember, James was there with Jesus, And James is being pretty consistent to how it was Jesus behaved when all of the disciples were arguing, and maybe James was in and among this disagreement, but all the disciples were arguing, wondering who it was that would sit in the seat of honor. Who was it that got to sit next to Jesus, and they're all going after each other, and they're all jockeying for position. And Jesus says, stop. Because in the kingdom of God, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So James is being very consistent at this point in his book. And James is recounting what it is that Christ-originated faith looks like. and Sharing that with us who, who perhaps we didn't have the opportunity to sit at the feet of the Master. Not in real time. But James calls us to God's feet now, reminding us that at the cross... All ground is level. And no one is any better and no one is any worse than the other. And James asks us to respond in faith. Now, I suppose these words, and I include myself in this, these words are kind of hard for us. And so, what do you do when you find out the best seat in the house isn't reserved for you? And it's sure in reserve for me. How are we going to respond when we don't understand or don't want or or haven't been trained even to understand the first is last and the last is first? How is it that we're going to respond when that best seat is reserved for somebody else? There are all kinds of ways we can respond. We have a choice. We have options. We can say, well, you know, Jesus spoke in hyperbole. Jesus spoke in the extremes. I'm not really sure he meant exactly that. Doesn't he understand? Doesn't he know? I mean, he was part of the world. Wasn't, did Jesus really mean the first shall be last? Absolutely. Does James really mean the best seat shall be reserved for those who are cast out by society? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we can question this text. We can try to rationalize this text. We can put our fingers in our ears and da 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 Right? Like when we were five. We don't like what we hear. We're just not going to pay attention to it. We can say that oh, we got, we got this one. Truth isn't truth anymore. Right? Wrong. Truth isn't truth, we might say. There's got to be another way, another option. Alternative facts, if you will, because, because this just doesn't sit well with me, and it doesn't make any sense in the world in which we live. So, so there's got to be something else that Jesus has in mind that James is recounting. We, we can respond that way. As I said, we have the privilege of choice, the benefit of options. So we can respond to God's word and excuse ourselves. And sidestep where it is God is calling us. We can even get defensive because this word sounds rather accusatory, does it not? seems sort of accusatory to me. And so oftentimes when we feel accused or cornered or berated or called out of some sort of behavior in which we are engaging, we get defensive and and we begin to criticize and we say, well, if they just work harder, well, then in waste their money, Can a family of four live on minimum wage? I mean, really? We can criticize. We can berate as we try to excuse ourselves. Are they documented? Folks, none of that's here. None of that is described as a Christ-originated faith. And while we are human and our first response may be that that gut response, remember what Jesus said, listen before you speak. Listen, pay attention to the word before you act. I am calling you into a new reality in which the the, the first-class citizens in the kingdom of God are the ones who are considered last in your kingdom. So we can be defensive, we can criticize, that's a human response, and yet... God calls us to be so much more than that. One of my favorite Christian authors is Tony Campolo, and, and he is an American Baptist sociologist. So that's kind of an interesting combination. And one of the things he says, he knows humanity well, but he knows God better, and he says, you know... What I think is so important for the people of God when we go back to the scriptures and we look at what we've highlighted or what we've underlined or what we've starred or what we've, you know, tried to call forth to memory or marked it in our Bibles, while we go back to those passages, maybe what we really need to read are the passages we didn't underline. What about those passages we didn't highlight because they didn't sit well with us because perhaps they challenged us just a little bit too much? Campolo suggests that those are the passages we need the most. Because if nothing else, Christ Christ calls us forth to new life and to a reality that is different from what so many of us have experienced. And if we just dwell on what sits well with us, what makes sense to us, we're never going to mature. We're never going to grow. And James is inviting that in these journeys of faith of ours. Again, we can respond in any number of ways. Another one of my favorite authors was um, suggested to me by a mentor of mine. And she said early on in my ministry, here it, it, there was a group of clergywomen actually that were meeting with another clergy woman who'd been there and done that much longer than the rest of us. The rest of us were new and she was trying to support and encourage us in our ministry. And, and she recommended the book Shaped by the Word by Robert Mulholland. And I'm not even sure it's still in print anymore, but it is a profound book because what it suggests and how we approach Scripture and how we read Scripture is to let Scripture instead read us. Come to the Bible with open hearts and open minds and we engage it. But what if we ask scripture, not what we want out of it, but rather what it wants out of us. What if we let scripture into our hearts in such a way that we are able to respond as those who have a Christ-originated faith? What if we turn to scripture to inform us first and foremost? What if we indeed are shaped by the word of God in such a way that the living word becomes alive in our hearts and we are different because of it. And I would suggest that when we come to a text we don't like, when we come to a text that challenges us, when we come to a text that makes us wonder where it is we're going to sit, where's our seat, Jesus How about inviting that word to read us instead and to enter into our hearts and to begin to chip away at those outward trappings, at those outward messages, at anything that has influenced us otherwise, other than the word of God, other than citizenship in the realm of God. So we go to the word not looking for information, Information is neutral. It's just the facts are the facts. Here's what it is. Information is neutral. And we go to the word not looking for information because information doesn't have a stake at what's going on. It's just there. So the word's on a page. What if we go to the word understanding that God wants to transform our lives rather than just inform us? What is it if we accept that God's living word can transform our lives so that we're not just informed by what it is these words say on a page, so that we're not just informed and read something in neutrality and read something as if it's separate and apart or four days gone by. What if we go to the word and accept it as a living word that infects our hearts and that transforms us in such a way that we can't leave it without being changed? Sounds a little like Jesus. Sounds a little like what Jesus did as he walked and talked on earth with his early disciples, with James, with others. Sounds a little bit like this is what James wants for us now. Don't look for information. Don't look for the whole cold hard facts. Don't look for the way it is the world teaches you to encounter anybody else. Look for what it says in terms of how God wants you to perceive others, how God wants you to live a Christ-originated life, to live and to be and to exist in this world. That's what James is getting at. That's why James challenges us. James knows that unless we become obedient to the Word, as the Word wants so desperately to transform us, the living Word of Christ, then we're just going to stay stuck not going to experience the fullness of God's presence, the fullness of God's grace in our lives. Years ago when I was um, at seminary at Duke Divinity School, I think I've told you that I worked at Duke Chapel, at Duke University Chapel, and one of the reasons I got the job there was because at the time I spoke Spanish pretty well, and one of the members of the congregation at Duke Chapel was a doctor at Duke Medical School, and he had approached the dean of Duke Chapel about creating a medical mission trip to Honduras. And so, as part of that effort, they wanted to bring somebody in that could speak Spanish, that would translate, and schlep water, and, you know, that kind of thing. And that was me. Um, But anyway, it, it was this amazing time because these two institutions of the same university came together with a common goal and began to plan and students were selected it was it was a select group of students and it was outward and apart from their regular curriculum but anyway we began to meet several months before we went to Honduras and we used a curriculum by the World Health Organization and everything was very heady and very appropriate and very well thought out and very very elite if you will The students were ready and they were engaged and during that time, the dean of the chapel wrote to the dean of the medical school and said, how about giving me some money? These are your students going on this trip. I need some of your student activity funds, you know, that fund that kind of sneaks up on parents that you don't plan for. Anyway, the student activity fund from the medical school needs to pony up and give some money to the dean of the chapel because these students are going on this trip and they're going to learn all sorts of things. They've been learning. They're ready. They know that, that so many of the patients they will care for in the U.S. have come from, from countries where they have not had medical care. And so by going down there, that's just a, another step in their learning where they get to experience hands-on and in-person what it is um, so many of their patients have gone through and that kind of thing. So he made a great case. And the dean of the medical school, as I remember it, responded to the dean of the chapel, I will absolutely not give you any of my money because you're going to take my students down there and all they're going to do is get frustrated. All they're going to do is band-aid situations that, that will come back next week. I mean, you cure worms one week and somebody's going to have them the next. It's, it's just how things are. And the dean of the medical the, Dean of the chapel wrote back to the dean of the medical school and said, your students are afraid of losing their souls in your hospital. And they have figured out that they're not going down there just to treat the people of Honduras, although that's important. They are going down there reminding themselves that people are people. And all people deserve compassion and care and their expertise, hard-fought, well-deserved and paid for. Your students don't want to lose their souls. They want their lives, their hearts to be transformed in such a way that as they provide care for decades to come, they will be able to call upon that same compassion, that same mercy, that same ability to know that all people deserve care no matter who they are, where they're from. That's transformation. That's transformation. And it began, interestingly enough, with a group of individuals and yet the intent was to change part of the institution in which they found themselves. Wouldn't that be interesting? It's not our goal. Our goal is to be faithful to the word of God. But what if when we are faithful, the kingdom becomes infectious and others catch on and begin to see what God is doing in us and want to be part of it? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be spirit informed? Wouldn't that be Christ originated lives? Wouldn't that be how it is? We are privileged to participate in what God is doing. Wouldn't it be great if the compassion and the mercy and the instruction that we've received not just informed who we are, but transformed everything about us? And then God got a witness. And the kingdom expanded, and more and more of us would engage the world on God's terms, where there is really no seat that is privileged above another. And when the ground is level for all of us, that's where God does God's best work. Jesus, help us, because this is not easy, but it is Christ originated faith. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we turn our lives over to you because we know that on our terms we will not be transformed. We may be active, we may be informed, we may be doing great things, Lord, but unless you have infected our hearts and chipped away at whatever it is that prevents us from engaging all people in the same way, we'll just be the same as when we showed up. So transform us, Lord. Let us live into the privilege of being your people. It's in the name of Christ that we not only pray, it's in the name of Christ that we also live. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. As always, you can find out the latest happenings at Harrison on Facebook or on our website at harrisonchurch.org.